0: On today's podcast episode, I have Shane Simpson on as a guest. While Shane has hunted a ton of different public hunting properties over the years, in the past two years, he's begun a focus to try and learn a new large piece with the intent to try and build a library of information and continue to focus on it for years to come. It's somewhat similar to what I've done on a couple properties as well. So the episode focuses mainly on the multi-year strategy to learn as much as you can each year while also having realistic expectations about what can be achieved each step of the way. We cover summer scouting, spring scouting, trail cameras, talking with other local hunters, focusing on rut versus bed hunting, the fall shift, and more. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, Color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. There are a couple new features that will launch shortly on the app as well. One is tighter contour lines, and the other is a high-detail shaded relief, or LIDAR, background map. I've also been providing feedback on the web application, which should launch in the next few weeks as well, and has been highly asked for. Within this episode, I reference making journal entries to look at the weather and wind conditions when building a library of information on a specific buck or a particular scrape. That's all done using Spartan Forge. Once again, that code is DIY, and with that, let's jump into the episode. I mean... The main thing I really wanted to to cover was, you know, kind of the whole process around picking a new piece of land. And I used to jump around a lot, you know, back when we first met, I was hunting, seemed like a new piece of public land every year and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just enjoying figuring out new stuff. But at a certain point you definitely understand that like, if you find something that's good, you're better in year two than you were in year one. And you know it more in year three than year two. And, Eventually building up that long term plan certainly pays dividends, but
1: and it certainly worked for you so far.
0: Yeah. Well, if you find the right place for sure. Yeah. And then I guess the, you know, the big question is of course, we still like to go out of state and do hunts that are you don't have any history with. That's certainly enjoyable. But I know, like you, especially this year, for some of your stuff closer to home, you're starting to, what it seems like to me, build this plan of the stuff I have been hunting, it's okay, but I want to learn a new piece. And it's not just to go in there, you know, blind for one year. I actually want to try and figure this out so that, you know, three, five years down the road, it's going to be a really good, consistent area for me.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of been my plan. I, um, I have areas I hunt and they produce deer, nothing, no giants or nothing real big or anything. And it's kind of hit and miss on the actual deer. And so I started scouting, a new area last year or started hunting it only hunted well I hunted it most of the season I hunted it more than other areas I'll say that and I only learned one little small segment of this property just kind of walking in there blind setting up and so my plan going into this year was to scout it and it's a pretty big place and I kind of cordoned off an area that I would concentrate on and then next year I would work on another section of that property and kind of move around. And so I spent a lot of time this summer. I haven't scouted any other properties in Wisconsin or Minnesota. Let me make sure I'm right about it. I don't think I have been on any other properties. No, I've been on this property every time I've scouted and I've scouted a lot this summer and I'm getting to know one section that's about 400 acres. I kind of drew a, you know, a boundary of the areas I wanted everything inside of that I want to focus on. And that's been my strategy so far.
0: Yeah. I've definitely seen the same thing that small places are good. And I mean, how many times do you hear somebody talk about like, Oh, don't overlook the small places. They can be really good. But on the flip side, it doesn't take much to screw them up. And you have to have a lot of them that you're checking year after year to figure out, you know, which ones are good. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket there. So I've kind of done the same thing where the bigger pieces even if the pressure shifts or something happens one year that affects a certain area of it, you can just relocate or, you know, within that same property and find new areas and find new deer, or even find where the deer you had been hunting relocated to. And it gives you a lot more flexibility.
1: Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And, and I'll, I'll say this, one of the things that the reasons I'm checking out new areas, like I'm kind of bored with the areas I've been hunting. I've been hunting them for years now. And they're small and, you know, they're fairly open, so there's not a whole lot of spots to really hunt. And I just get bored with it. You go sit in a spot, you know, in a tree or some of the same areas I've hunted, and you're like, okay, something may come along. But it just seems like the same old, same old, um, you know, what you're seeing is what you're going to get most of the times. what I've been seeing. And this new area that I'm scouting, yeah, so far there's a lot more deer sign there's a lot more potential to 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 have one come in that you know could be a good one i have a buddy that that has hunted the area in that area maybe not this specific spot and he knows that there's some good bucks that come out of there every year out of this particular piece just by word of mouth and whatnot Uh, so there's potential for for there to be some good ones in there and just like i said from just scouting all summer and run on some cameras, there is a ton of deer on this place, a, a lot of does. <laughs> um, there are some bucks I've seen some decent ones on camera, no giants yet, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just, a, it's got more cover. It just seems like a, a a good place to get in there and have some fun with, uh, this coming season.
0: It was, it just, was it just the size and the word of mouth that attracted you to that place? or are there other things about it habitat-wise that uh, really kind of piqued your interest? Um, There's a little bit of um, mainly the habitat, I
1: guess. Uh, I was kind of um, reluctant to go into it. Number one, a word of uh, a lot of pressure there from you and from others that um, hunt this place and, and live in the area. Um, so that was kind of you know a little discouraging at first. But what I discovered last fall when I hunted the few times i hunted it was there wasn't a tremendous amount of pressure at least the areas i was hunting uh, early in the season now i heard there was a lot of people there during gun season which i imagine all of wisconsin gets a lot of pressure on their public lands during gun season but i only seen a few trucks you know when i hunted there and I, i killed a few deer there last year and um the habitat there's some there's some woodlands, there's some marshes. I like hunting the, the marshes, trying to find the bedding and stuff. And I, I focused on that on my summer scouting, looking for bedding. And I found quite a bit of it. I'm still trying to figure out where the bucks are bedding. I found some buck beds, but I I didn't find like, you know, you know, the pot of gold, um, I'm mm-hmm. finding some of this hit and miss stuff. And maybe there, it's just after pressure gets there, it pushes some of these deer into these spots, but there was a, I found two or three beds that I think will be used at some point, and there's some old rubs around it. Now, my latest scouting trip, which was not my latest one, the one before that, I kind of broke out of my little 400-acre area that I'd cordoned off to be my focus and because I knew I I was right on the fringe of finding some good buck sign, and and I certainly did when I, I moved a few hundred yards outside of it on one end of it. I got, it. I got into some good uh, rut sign from last fall. A lot of uh, rubs and scrapes, a, a tremendous amount for one little small area. So I'm getting close to where I think the core of the, the buck bedding and buck action is. Um, I, I believe so. Anyway, I'll find out as it gets into the season.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, do you have like a, you're hoping that by like year three, you've got some of that you know, buck specifics worked out? Are you expecting it could take five years? Are you working on just like smaller chunk for the first couple of years? And then once you have that figured out, branching out, what's kind of your long-term strategy there?
1: I I think I learned enough this year to kind of eliminate some areas. Um, I definitely learned in the 400 acres that I've, or yeah, 400 acres that I've scouted this summer, I've learned where I could easily, or what I think I can easily go harvest a few does at, at the very least. And that's going to be my focus, um, uh, you know, as, to some degree when I want to go out there and just, uh, enjoy a hunt, maybe take my recur. I think by next fall after some more scouting and after a season of hunting, you know, I'll be scouting as I'm hunting that I'll have a good idea of what, where I could find some good deer action and where I might find some of the bucks and the bigger bucks um, I think I'm getting close to it just by basically, I, I think what I had, what happened is the first area I picked, what looked good to me on the map is probably not the best area. And it's probably because it looks good on the map to everyone. <laughs> right. And I, and I don't know, I don't see a lot of sign of people. You know, I've found a, uh, a few stands hanging up and, and at least one of them I know is a gun, um, stand that someone used during gun season. And I saw a trail camera when I was there last year, but I never ran into anyone. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot of, I didn't see any boot tracks for the most part uh, going in the where, where I hunted. And maybe the, the people that have been hunting for years have already figured out that that's probably not the best area to hunt. Most of the the vehicles that I saw parked when I would go hunt there were parked in other lots and kind of concentrated. And so leads me to believe that they, they know something that I don't and based on you know, the, my trail cam strategy where i was i was using my trail cameras like a net i would encircle areas and saturate an area with you know six or seven cameras for two weeks and then i'd move them and as i've moved them around i've, I've figured out where most of the buck traffic is at least during the summer and then doing that and doing so moving around scouting and moving cameras i discovered where all those rubs and And old scrapes are. I even made a mock scrape in one spot. I didn't get any bucks on camera, but I got a lot of does coming up, standing on their back legs and and working the limb that I snapped to make a a little licking limb. But I think by next fall, to answer your question, that I'll have a pretty good handle on it. And certainly by the fall of 2024, um, I should know that area. And much much more of the entire track of public uh, better.
0: For this year, are you going to be a little bit more aggressive, in the hopes that you're maybe going to step too far in certain areas, but in the process find stuff out quicker than you would have if you were more conservative.
1: Yeah, and that was that was my problem last year. I was real conservative and, and I didn't, you know, push push into some of these areas. I just kind of played it safe. I hunted along a creek, uh, most of the time. Uh, I knew where I thought bedding was. Well, I had a suspicion where the bedding was, and I was just hoping they would come in and feed on the oaks. Uh, This year, from my scouting, I have about four or five spots that I think could be ideal to catch some early buck movement, early season. But if that doesn't pan out, then I'm going to just keep pushing forward. And I'm going to scout, like I said, as as I go through the season. And some of these areas I can see on satellite images that look like good areas, I want to get in there on you know in person and, and physically see it um the one spot although there's there, I haven't seen any bucks on camera there's a lot I mean a ton of doe activity in this area and it's really thick and I think it's because of how thick it is the bucks aren't going in there right now but there's buck sign and their old buck sign and then when I say it's full of deer I'm, I'm getting two or three instances of deer going by my cameras every day and sometimes they spend an hour or more in front of my cameras. It's, it's a couple of, um, oaks, white oaks, bur oaks secluded into this thick stuff, jungle of stuff. <laughs> and they're just, I don't know if the, the, the acorns are dropping yet. I haven't found any on the ground I, and I couldn't see in the tree if there were any, but the way these deer are hanging around in front of the cameras, it, it, it almost looks like they're searching for acorns. But they're also uh, browsing on, on the green vegetation that's in there.
0: It's got to be getting close. When I was out there two weeks ago, I think at this point, there was a similar spot where it had a couple bur oaks surrounded by swamp. And the acorns that were in the tree were light. They're like There wasn't a heavy crop of them. And the ones that were in the tree still seemed like they were small compared to what bur oaks, you know, acorns yep. can be. So it seemed like they still had a ways to go growth wise before they started falling. But
1: I can't remember what what was the acorn crop last year for the bur oaks.
0: Well, it depends was on where it? you're at. In North Dakota it was absurd. There's acorns everywhere. But yeah. like around here around here I didn't hunt as many places that had strong burr oak crops. I was hunting more in areas that had more of a, a browse heavy um food source. And so I didn't keep as close of an eye on it as I normally would.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. Um, the area that I hunted last year didn't have very many oaks, and they were kind of I was on the fringes of where they were at, and I don't know, I can't recall if if I saw any or heard any dropping. I have bur oaks out in front of my house, and they usually match what I'm seeing out in the woods, and so far they haven't dropped any. And usually in August they're dropping on the ground already on the sidewalks, so maybe this is an off year. I did find a pin oak out there in the middle of the marsh and it was loaded with acorns hmm. and so there's no way to hunt that from a tree that um, there's there's one small tree i might be able to get into but it's like a little just a little island of brush how this little pin oak is growing out in this marsh i don't know because they to my knowledge they don't you know they don't like a lot of moisture They're like a wet ground and the, this ground is only an inch or two higher than the, the but it has well i mean this this tree is 20 years old i mean it's not like because it's, it's been a dry year that <laughs> it's it's able to grow so I'm, i don't know sure i'm not sure how it's surviving out there but it made it and it's the only one within hundreds of yards of that area so i'm sure it's going to be a prime target for deer this fall
0: yeah and it is the pin oak is that in the red oak family with the, the pointy leaves for identification
1: uh, i guess as good as mine i need to talk to Catman about that <laughs> <laughs> I just know that they're they're little small little um little small little acorns. I know down south when we have pin oaks, and uh, we called them well. There might be two different varieties. We had some we called water oaks. They seem to grow. They grew on dry ground, but near like swampy low areas. Um, and and this may be the case for this plant. You know, it doesn't do well in soaking wet ground, but it can withstand you know higher uh, concentrations of water than say uh, a red oak or a white oak that needs to be up on dry ground it's just a it's just naughty. I haven't seen any of those pin oaks out there growing anywhere except for that one spot that one little long tree,
0: yeah, my super quick Google search can't tell if they're in the same family if they're just really similar um you know subspecies but regarding water oak? a pin and red. Ah, uh, tripan and like, like water. Yeah, if, if water
1: oak's the same. Yeah, I think it's a northern. I mean, I think it's um, what do they call it. When I had a post about it on Facebook, someone they gave two names for it. Um, a northern black oak or something like that, and something else. I can't remember. It's got teeny acorns that are smaller than marbles. You know, uh, they're trying to think of something that's uh, equivalent to the size of it. The, you know, the size of your pinky uh, fingernail. Okay. Diameter. Well,
0: that makes it pretty they're easy small. to identify then.
1: Yeah, they're pretty small little acorns. Um, and, yeah, they have like little straight little um, – well, this one had um, different type of leaves. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I just know it was little teeny oak acorns, and it looked like like some type of pin oak or something. Okay. Anyway, uh, I don't know how uh, – if I'll – I'm sure I'll go there and, and hunt it. At least once or try to because where it's located, I think it's going to be a, a prime target for deer. And it could you know, give me some close-up action maybe with my recurve on a doe or something. Um, most of the buck sign I found that I mentioned earlier is, shoot, five, 600 yards away. And there's plenty of other oaks in between there and where I found this little one. So I think this little guy by himself is going to get mostly uh, doe traffic.
0: Well, you said the buck sign is mostly five, six hundred yards away, but I mean that could or could not mean that at some point during the year, if the does are there now, I mean that could be good throughout the rut, even if the the sign isn't there to represent it. I mean, it seems like most of the stuff by me, if I, in the areas that have heavy rut sign. What I usually see is there's a lot of does this time of year in fawns and the bucks will move in and they will make the sign. So there are other areas where the does are there and the buck sign isn't there. It seems like in some cases those get good rut activity. In some cases they don't. Sometimes it seems like those does shift to a different area whenever that food source dries up. Well, I'll
1: I'll tell you what I, why I say that. And from what I've seen last year hunting, and from this year, last year, a little, little bit of scouting last year, and then all the scouting this year, it seems like the buck traffic, or most of the sign, runs, we'll say north south. And where I found this little oak and this, and then all these does is way off to the uh, west, mm-hmm. right? And last year, when I was hunting close to the rut, and I was setting up my stand. I had a doe come in, and a buck was chasing her. He came from that area of all that buck sign. But then he stopped when he got to where I was at. He snort, wheezed out the doe, and she just kind of headed off to the west and went towards the where that little oak was in that area where the bedding and stuff is out in the marsh. He just kind of turned around and, and went down the creek, right, to the south. And so, you know, that right there was a clue that where he came from. And then I went and scouted it after I couldn't find what I wanted to find in that 400 acres. I went over there to scout that, and that's where I discovered a lot of the buck sign. And just looking at satellite images and, and where I'm finding, you know, if you follow the sign, rubs and old scrapes, they kind of form a corridor. And I'm thinking that the bucks are betting on one, one end or the other of all that sign, and there's perfect, and what looks like perfect betting um, cover on either side. It's, um, you know, some thick cover. It's hard to get to um, one area in particular that I think uh, I found a bed. I think it's being used later in season. He can actually, if if it's true, like what Dan and, and the guys from Hunting Public say where bucks will observe access, um, you can, you from that bed, you can watch access from multiple directions, multiple parking lots. Um, and not the parking lot themselves, but the trails coming in. You can see those, and I'm like, this would be a perfect spot if a buck actually watched, you know, access an older buck and he had um, water around him with there that you couldn't get to him without making noise coming through the water or, you know, he had that escape route there through the water. So that and set up for a a good one, a good spot, whether one's going to be there this year, I don't know. But most, like I said, most of the, the buck sign or what it looks like where they're traveling when they get into October and start leaving a lot of buck sign and into the rut is, is over that way. And, um, I think that's where they're spending most of their time. And of course, you know, you probably have a few here and there at creating those buck beds i found in the other areas. Yeah. Right now, (laughs) right now, it's just speculation and guesses just based on what I'm seeing. I'm just trying to come up with, uh, you know, a scenario in my head of what they're doing. And I won't know until I get in there. Actually, I didn't hunt that area last year. I haven't hunted it yet. So it'd be interesting to see what I see when I start actually hunting those spots.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what time of year that sign actually starts getting made, whether they're in there early, they shift in there, you know, once they shed their velvet and they start leaving some of that sign, or if it truly is mostly rut sign and they just transition over to that area mid-October time frame.
1: Yeah, I I did leave a camera over there but it's so far back in there that i won't check that camera until i hunt that spot and it won't be until i get down from the tree that evening um before i check it because i have to go another 100 yards into where i expect the deer to come from so i will set up in my tree um when the wind's right and if a deer comes out of there and i shoot it fine if i if not when i get down at dark i'll slip up in there and grab that camera and, and just see what's been on it for the last few months and if my uh suspicions were correct
0: and have you done a lot of post-season scouting there too or is it primarily no, primarily just summer and hunting for the most part so far it's
1: just summer and in-season scouting what little bit i did last year because you know i turkey hunt so i don't get time to i need to make time because you know i don't start traveling until march so i can get out there and scout uh, late season um or you know early or Let's we'll say pre-spring, you know, February, something like that, before I hit the road for turkey hunting. I would certainly love to get out there and scout. I know I'll see your videos when you're out there and it's, you know, spring light, but there's still snow and ice, and you're finding buck beds and and sheds and whatnot. It'd be nice to get out there when there's no leaves on the trees and be able to see exactly, you know, what it looks like out there and see farther. Right now, during the summer, it's so thick, you can't see 10 feet in front of you. Yeah. So it's it's a totally different view from what it's going to be like later on.
0: Yeah, you don't have a big window because it's like, by the time the snow melts you're starting to leave down south to go chase longbeards.
1: So Yeah. You got
0: like maybe a week or two of prime scouting unless it's a low snow year.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I spend, I'm a procrastinator sometimes. I have a lot of turkey hunting videos left over from last spring, and I'll start editing those, you know, in order to post those this coming spring and last year. I'm gonna try to avoid doing it this year. Last year I kept putting it off because I was doing other things until I till the last minute and, and then I was trying to finish editing videos before I hit the road. So <laughs> I didn't have a you know, any free time. What free time I had after my regular job, I was editing videos. But I'm gonna try to keep that from happening this year.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing that will probably I think at least for me it's been helpful so far. I imagine it'll probably be the same for you once you start getting the same amount of data is like the newer place that I had started to learn. I now have a couple of years of historical trail camera information, plus the the time spent in the woods in the fall and the, the spring scouting and the summer trips. And so it's like every time I go back out there, it's like go out there, learn, pick off some place that I hadn't learned yet, or maybe recheck out some area that was really good during the season, but I just was kind of, you know, dancing around trying to, you know, hunt smart. Whereas now in the spring was my time frame to really like pick it apart and kind of grid it. Um but in terms of the trail cameras, like what I've done so far this year is for the bucks that I have relocated that I had pictures of last year and even the year before in some cases. Now I'm going through and making journal entries to tie like the Um, the date and the time that the photo was taken and the location with the weather. And then I can like categorize that by buck, like uh, this buck, you know, I had pictures of them, like all these different, different instances throughout the year, whether it was during the rut or early season or or late season or whatever. Um, And for some of them, it was like really consistent. Uh, Like there there's one buck for instance that I haven't confirmed that this one's still alive. But starting October 16th, I started getting photos of him in a certain area. And then it was like, I think he daylighted like five, five or six different times in like a two week span, which obviously he's not going to go past that trail camera every day. So that was like a lot of daylight sightings, which meant I was probably close to where he was bedding at that given time. And then there's, there's some of these scrapes that would light up and it was like, you had good buck activity on this scrape between, let's say... October 25th through like November 5th. But if you wanted the biggest ones, it was like three days December, like October 26th through 28th on this scrape. It was like you had four different mature box And like some of them you didn't know where they came from, some of them you did. But it was like that if you wanted to that, be there, that, that was late the, in the season, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like that was the time to be at that scrape. But then like another scrape and a different end of the property might be a different time frame. And I think. From t- just talking to people who, especially, have hunted some of those bigger woods type areas, it c- it can be related to like when a doe in that that doe group will start to go into heat, and so it's a good likelihood if that doe's still alive, especially, you know those that same time frame that was really hot the year prior could still be the same time like this following year.
1: Yeah, she she'll probably cycle around the same time this year, and could and it could uh, cause the same you know type of bug traffic to happen. Mm-hmm. And and you said December?
0: No, October.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought I heard December because your audio kind of broke up a little bit. And I was like, oh. wow, that late in the season?
0: <laughs> but on, on the December side of things, so that brings up another good point that I think it would be very applicable in the place that you're learning. There's there's places that have, you know, denser cover and they don't have a lot of food. They have some late season, like, Witty brows type stuff, but there's not a lot of, like, you know, Forbes and broadleaf plants and stuff that they're eating right now. Mm-hmm. And so last year, and I went out in the snow in like December and dropped a camera on a trail that was, you know, near one of those areas. And it was like nearly every day I'd have pictures, sometimes nose, sometimes young bucks, sometimes older bucks, sometimes at nighttime, sometimes, but it's like a heavy, heavy traffic area. And now I have a camera in that same spot just to kind of see like, okay, I'm assuming like I know it's good late, but when does it get good? And like what I've noticed so far this year is it doesn't get much activity right now. Like a couple of those, you know, maybe once a week. Yeah. Um, and my theory is that for that spot, it's probably post-rifle season is when it gets good there. Because that's where they get one of those areas they get pushed into. But prior to that, they have no reason to go back in there. And so that's like another one of those, those things. You're never going to figure that out on year one. But by year two, year three, you start to put that that puzzle together. So it's like, okay, maybe by year five, I'll have spots that I'll have this library of scrapes and I know when the best time to hunt those scrapes are. And even if I'm getting nocturnal pictures in mid-October of certain bucks, okay, now I know that those bucks might start hitting it through that three-day window during daylight. Mm -hmm. And then late season comes around. Now I know where some of those deer start to shift to. Like one of these bucks that I did relocate, in december i ended up getting photos of him in a certain a certain region i don't know i probably had three or four daylight photos which is not much over a course of a month but it's enough that he's spending you know a good amount of time there yeah and so i can go in there you know boots in the ground to read the tracks and be able to you know hone that in quite a bit more yeah
1: i just need to find you know i've I found or i've had on camera two bucks at least two that that I'm going to be mighty tempted to to shoot as they walk by this season. Um, I'm looking, I'm hoping to find at least a couple more, maybe a couple bigger ones. Um, But you know me, I'm not a a serious trophy hunter or anything. Um, So I I do enjoy learning a little bit about the area and try to figure it out, putting those puzzle pieces together. And so my strategy, you know, this year is to try to figure out where those two or three bucks I have on camera or two bucks. And then, and then there's some smaller ones that I would just be interested in knowing where they're hanging out, you know, and if they make it through this season, you know, hopefully they stick around to the same routines for next year. My, my ultimate goal in this place is just, um, my ultimate goal is to kill some deer out of there. Um, but, a a kind of a side effect goal is to, um, is to really learn the area so that,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, I have a place I can just go in there and and it is so, it's so much more. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word to use. But if you go into a place blind, you don't know nothing about it other than satellite images. Um, it can be a little um, make you a little uneasy when you go in there, and you're especially you're a mile or two back from your car or whatever, and you're trying to work your way through there in the dark, getting back out. With all this summer scouting. It's made this property, that, which is big, feel so much smaller that if I was out there in the middle of dark, I could almost walk back to any parking lot without thinking about it, you know, without constantly looking at my phone so that it gets rid of that uneasiness about an unfamiliar area. It's like wandering around in a cattail marsh in the dark, trying to navigate your way back. And it's just a sea of cattails. That that gets a little unnerving when you, especially if you start losing yourself or, or your phone starts going dead. <laughs> yep. You got to navigate by the sound of traffic or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was an area that I had hunted that had, you know, a good amount of storm damage. And it was like, it was like a jungle gym. It was like, it reminded me of Colorado, you know, climbing around in areas that had a bunch of beetle beetle kill and deadfall. And it's just like, this is a nightmare. And the first several times it just sucked. But eventually you would find these little corridors that were clear enough to walk through. And then it got to the point eventually where it was like, oh, you, you could follow these paths and you just like remembered like even without the phone like which yeah. way you needed to go like oh i gotta take a left at this tree or it's gonna be a mess you don't
1: even have to pull it out you just and you can make especially on the areas that you're just gonna breeze on by anyway you were not worried about being mm-hmm. slow and not busting anything like an area i had in minnesota i know it so well that it, you know i walk a mile in like 15 or 20 minutes and then when i get to you know i don't even have to think about my turns i'm just walking steadily and then when i get down close to closer to where i'm gonna be hunting then i slow it down and then just ease up through there um but it gets like that you know it's it was new last year this year with all the summer scouting it seems like you know my back 40 that i've lived at all my life and i'm very comfortable just walking in there without using my phone at all i know exactly which turn to make and mm-hmm. you know i can i can recognize um landmarks you know groups of trees and whatnot yeah so that that makes it much better
0: Though when it really becomes second nature is when you get to the point where you can intentionally take different routes every time and still get to the same back to the same location. Yep.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. I've already I have I know of uh four routes so far to get get me to where you know, like the one spot for instance, where I hunted last year, I can come in from four different directions. And that's very beneficial if the wind changes and you need to approach from a different way um it's wind's probably not going to be a huge factor in some of those because if if there's other hunters in there and they may come in from a different direction they're going to leave you know their scent's going to blow right to the deer anyway but at least it gives you that option or if you need to you know go out one way what i did during the summer scouting because i can go come in and go out different ways you know i took a mountain bike with me and and drop it off on the edge of the road in the bushes and then i go back in there scouting if i get know too deep and didn't even realize how far scouting i can just go to you know my mountain bikes you know closer and then i can ride it back to my truck and then throw it back in there and, and then leave um so it's nice having those other routes and knowing the area like that
0: yeah yeah definitely the one of the does i shot in wisconsin three years ago i think it was my wife and i were hunting together and i ended up shooting this doe and she ran toward the direction of one of the roads and she ended up dying like 200 yards away from a road that was like almost it was like a mile and a half walk to get to the car if you were to walk the road it was I don't know yeah less than a half mile to walk but it was just like a a mess like you know getting stuck and and muck and going through swamp to get there it's like well it'd be way easier if we just drag her to this road and we ended up just walking you know mile and a half on pavement to get back to the vehicle and then drive all the way back around but it ended up being probably the easier quicker way to do it
1: sounds like my turkey hunt in south dakota a few years back it was um i think it was like was it more it was more than three miles um of walking or just over three miles of walking back to the truck from the road but i'd walked over a mile a mile and a half or so through the this nasty woods and ravines and stuff where i end up killing the gobbler instead of going straight back as the crow flies to the truck I took the loop around and on the easy walk and just toted my Turkey, you know, twice as far, but easy walking. I didn't have to crawl up hills and and go through the, you know, vines and cedars and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Anyhow.
0: Yeah. So are you just going to hunt archery then in that place that you're learning or are you going to do?
1: Yeah. Rifle as well. I don't gun hunt anymore. Um, One day I'll probably gun hunt again, but, I haven't gun hunted for deer since I was a you know early teens, thirteen or fourteen years old, or something like that. Um, maybe a little older. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I'm gonna just bow hunt and then I'll start tracking when uh, gun season comes in in Minnesota. I I'm, I'm usually done hunting in Minnesota. Um I'll probably hunt all the way up to a gun opener in Wisconsin and then I'm I'm pretty much done for the season. And you know, I'm starting hunting, I'll start hunting in you know, September first if I haven't had my field of hunting by then and filled a few tags and something's wrong, I need to hang it up anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Here's a curiosity question. If you get a call to track a nice buck in the area that you're starting to learn, are you going to take that track? or Are you going to tell the guy it's a conflict of interest? Cause you, you hunt that same area.
1: No, I'd definitely go track Any place I hunt, I'm definitely going tracking deer just to see what deer they got. You know, and plus, if I if I'm not currently in the woods hunting, then I'm gonna take the track. I, that's the problem, though. I have to scale back my tracking sometimes. I sometimes I put tracking ahead of hunting too much. You know, I'm on my way to the woods and someone calls and need a track, and I'll just abandon my hunt and turn around and go back and load the dogs up. Uh, last year, I tried to scale that back a little bit. There's plenty. There's plenty more trackers now in Minnesota than there used to be. So there's um you know before when it first became legal i I felt almost obligated to take these tracks because i was on only one of the only few trackers there was in this state but now we have you know 25, 30 trackers i don't know how many it is it's quite a few now, and so i don't feel so uh i don't feel so bad about turning the track down if i'm headed to the woods to hunt if i'm already in the truck but most certainly if someone calls the um Know, to track a deer in that area that i'm hunting certainly uh, i did that a few years back and actually learned um the guy i was tracked a deer for he lived close to the public i was hunting and i had pictures of a really nice buck and some other bucks and then while I, when we got done tracking his deer i showed him a picture i said you ever seen this this uh deer in your trail cameras because he he knew i knew he had trail cameras out he told me i plus i passed a few he said, oh yeah, let me go dig that up, and sir, sure enough, he had pictures of that same buck, and this was um, like a mile away from where I had pictures of him. But he was getting around, but he was so unmistakable that, um, you know, and I had no problem going over there to track this. That's the one thing that's nice about it. If you track, especially if you track landowners, for landowners that live near the public, um, you know, you build a rapport with them. Sometimes they'll give you can end up with access to. To go into the public through their property, that's what I what. That's what happened with the, that that fellow I tracked for. Um, he ended up giving me access from another spot of the public that you couldn't get to unless you walked a long ways, and uh, so it worked out. You know, I tracked for him and we became friends, and now I can access that public if I wanted to through his backyard.
0: Nice, yeah, that works out pretty well. And do you see that? Happening in all the states that tracking is not legal in, that it seems like there's more and more people get getting kind of added to the um, the repertoire of names that people can call.
1: I think it it levels out at a certain point. You know, like in Wisconsin or other states where it's been legal for a while, you have your you know core base of hunters. It's just like with with animals. You know, you hit you hit your carrying capacity, and then some die and some uh, you know are born. Tracking is just like that in track in states where it's established. Some trackers you know just get a little too old and they don't want to do it anymore. They retire from it or they pass away. You got these guys that are coming up and they want to get involved with it so the the number of trackers in any given state seems to be that's been doing it for a while seems to be you know around the same number. It's these newer states where it's become legal recently that they have a substantial amount of growth in the number of trackers like we we probably doubled you know each year since it became legal, maybe not doubled, but it's grown quite a bit, you know, from the first two or three trackers we had to now 30 trackers or something or more. And we have a bunch, you know, trackers in training, we call it, uh, trackers that not necessarily have passed the UBT certification, but they have dogs that are trained to track. And so they, they, are able to go out there and help too.
0: And I guess while we're on that topic, I know, uh, you just did that podcast not too long ago with the hunting public, to go through all the details about some of the tracking stats you had, but just from like a, a high level, like key things that I took out of that discussion. Um, and certainly if people are listening to this, go check out that podcast and get a lot more in-depth details. But it seemed like the key takeaways for me is if you're, if you have a poor shot and you know, you might need a dog, like it's, it's better it's better to back out as soon as you know, you're going to need a dog rather than grid searching. Grid searching was like the worst thing you could do.
1: Yeah. It should be your last resort in any situation. Grid searching. When you get to the point of grid searching. Um, and I know there's some guys out there that have dogs that can work their way through grid searching, but even with those dogs, grid searching, um, seriously happened, uh, hampers, uh, their ability to to continue the track. Uh, um, I know with Cali we uh, our success rate dropped down like what fifteen or twenty percent success rate recovery rate on tracks that have been grid searched. I mean it dropped substantially where if it hadn't been grid searched, it was like a sixty or sixty five percent recovery rate. It just and the same with pass throughs also. If you get a complete pass through uh with your arrow, if you're bow hunting, um, those had a higher much higher recovery rate than non pass through shots. Uh so those are the biggest things I've seen when it comes to tracking deer. Get a pass through and don't grid search and your odds of recovery go way up, especially if you're using a dog. Mhm. And Well, I mean, obviously using a dog when you don't grid search, <laughs> but a pass through is great either way. Right,
0: right. And it seemed like if you had a pass through, it didn't really matter what kind of head you were using. It was good in in any scenario. Yep. And if you didn't have a pass through, then your odds were better with the mechanical but it's still better yeah. just to get a pass through like with whatever yeah. your setup is. Pass through
1: was king um but if you didn't get one that bigger cutting diameter of a mechanical um helped you out. But on the flip side of the coin the reason you probably didn't get a pass through some in some cases was because you had a bigger wider cutting mm-hmm. diameter blade so it's it's you know a little bit of this a little bit of that you kind of have to pick which one you wanted to go with. You can go with a fixed and have more pass-throughs, but with a fixed, you had slightly lower recovery rates than mechanicals because of their bigger diameter, but you also had less pass-throughs, which was, you know, (laughs) you could look at it either way you wanted to. you know. But the main goal was get a pass-through, and you have good odds, and and don't grid search if you're going to have a dog in there.
0: Yeah, but it seemed like it was okay, generally, if guys just, like, walked down straight line along the trail themselves until yeah. they got like 80 yards and like, ah, this wasn't the, the shot that I thought it was.
1: Yeah. They could even go 200 yards, whatever. As long as they just, you know, follow the trail, stopped at last blood marked it and didn't wander all through the woods and then just walk straight back out. Um, it didn't really seriously affect the, the track and we actually had better recovery rates on those than we did with, um, a clean track where they didn't even track at all. And my speculation is, those guys that didn't track at all knew they made a bad hit. Mm-hmm. you know they might have hit it in the leg or they may have hit it you know high in the back or high in the shoulder, and so they didn't even bother tracking. They just called a dog, and that those were you know low odd recovery tracks, whereas the guys that tracked but didn't grid search they thought they made a good hit, which they they made a lethal hit. they just ran out of blood for whatever reason, maybe a intestine clogged the hole or a chunk of lung clogged the hole. And so we had slightly better odds of recovery on those. But the, the key takeaway was keep the track as clean as possible. You know, don't grid search.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting to look at those at those numbers and, and see some of those characteristics, which it seems like it's becoming more and more common knowledge now. But certainly yeah. I think there's, at least more than it was a few years ago, but there's still, I think. Yeah, and um, I'm hoping,
1: we're hoping to build a, a, a database on uh data collection to to get you know more numbers to kind of confirm or or see what the trends are there's a form on my website right now that if even if you didn't call a dog to come track your deer i mean you can look back at like the the track for your deer in north dakota and the one for mine in north dakota you can submit that into the form if you still remember all the information you know the the time you shot it how how long did you wait where you hit the deer, you know, ask all those relevant questions like I would ask uh, somebody's going to track for and then it's set for you didn't track with a dog and we can we're gathering information through that and we're also going to be gathering information as we take tracks this year from other trackers anytime someone comes to our, our group to need a tracking dog and you know, we may end up with a thousand new so s- submissions, you know, tracking uh, data points versus my 151 that i have now so this will greatly increase the data set that we we have to work with
0: yeah yeah i think that the more more data we can collect on that sort of thing i think that just helps everybody out even if it could be somebody who's has no plans to ever you know call a tracking dog but the information gained from both the you know collection of bad hits what's the best and worst case scenario plus all the the good hits and try and you know Look at the entire population of data itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh, excited right now. I mean, yeah, it's only two more weeks,
1: and we're going to be hunting. Yeah, something I mean, like that. Is it two weeks? Two weeks
0: and two days.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll be I'll be uh, scouting and glassing uh, in uh, the twenty eighth of August. So however far that is less than two weeks for me. Yeah. Right. Yep.
0: Yep. It is. I'll so I'll
1: I'll be on the road to my destination in less than two weeks and then I'll actually get to hunt in just over two weeks.
0: Yeah. Hopefully the weather's not going to be too bad for you. Uh, I think it'll hopefully be a little bit cooler where I'm going, but the, uh, my plan for that opening week is just basically show up like the day before and, uh, just speed check, some spots that I know can be good, but just kind of from the periphery and just see what the sign looks like. And then, you know, dive into to different pieces, depending on what the wind is.
1: How long are you going to be? How long are you going to be hunting? Are you taking that um, weekdays it, off?
0: It'll be close to a week. Yeah. I'll take some weekdays off. Um, but I won't, I won't stay there for an excessive amount of time purely because I know that if I don't fill that tag that week, it's not that big of a deal. Cause I can always go back later in the year and it may be easier even in some of those later times of the year.
1: Well, if I fill my Nebraska tag pretty quick, I'll run up there and 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 join you in camp. Maybe cook food. I won't be getting a tag, <laughs> uh, and I'm certainly not going to buy another Nebraska tag because those too too damn expensive. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out there and starting hunting. I've been thinking about I have, I got to get out and shoot my bow because I haven't done that yet. I've been Uh-oh. in the process of between
0: two, week, two shoot, weeks
1: out. <laughs> yeah i know that's that's pitiful um we're in the process of replacing some flooring in my house um i spent a lot of time summer scouting and i should have been spending some time shooting in years past like last year i spent a lot of time shooting my compound and my recurve and didn't scout much so it kind of got roles reversed this year the problem is there's so much stuff in my garage right now there's flooring and there's stuff carpeting stuff we tore out and i got to get to the dump and they there's an old bar in there that we ripped out that I can't even shoot my bow. I can't even get to my target. I can't even get to my mower to cut the grass. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to get that knocked out here in the next day or two and, uh, start shooting and make sure everything's good to go. Um, but I always have my recurve as backup if my bow's not up to par.
0: Yeah. Just yep. I have
1: to limit my range.
0: That, that's always an interesting discussion topic from the standpoint of what's your weak link. Is it your archery? Do you, you know? Do you tend to get a lot of opportunities and screw them up, or is it the flip side where maybe you're good I enough from the archery standpoint, but you you to spend more time in the woods, which I think I see a lot on the internet too.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't screw up my shots too much. Last year, that doe, I, I yeah, you know, I hit her a little low, and we end up losing her. I say we, but me. Um, if she had only if she'd only just jumped the string a little bit, she did not budge. She just stood there stone still, and let the arrow hit her. Um, but it's still my fault. I, it was a little lower than I would, was actually wanting to hit. But you know, if you look at all the, my hunts that on my channel, most of my shots are hard shots. A lot of them are, um, I don't struggle in that department too much. I don't take long shots. Most shots are, you know, 30 yards or less every once in a while i mean it's i can't think of the last time i shot 40 yards that was quite a while back i think um but yeah i, I don't think that's my weak link as long as my equipment you know I'm, I'm basically gonna shoot you know up until i leave i'll shoot a few times each day you know an hour or two each day and make sure there's nothing wrong with my boat and it's functioning properly and all the arrows are hitting where i want them to and then uh, we'll call it good uh, but i definitely I definitely didn't practice or shoot as much as I I probably should have this year. It just got summer slipped away from me.
0: I imagine most people watching this follow your stuff already, but in case they don't, where's all the places that you uh, post all your content to both from the tracking side, the Turkey side, which obviously you do a ton of Turkey stuff and the deer hunting stuff.
1: Uh, Well, you can go to my YouTube channel, just look up Shane Simpson, Uh, or Shane Simpson Hunting, you type that in, you can find my website, shanesimpsonhunting.com. You get a lot of, I think, uh, useful stuff on my website, and you can find my YouTube videos there as well. And like I said, we've got a data collection form on my website. There's uh, tutorials for turkey hunting, calling, there's deer tracking videos, you know, you name it. It's all kind of combined on my website with some additional info and additional, um, uh, what's the word? There's uh, additional content and stuff that probably would interest people, uh, but if you're just interested in watching videos, you can go to my YouTube channel. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all those good things. You know, just search up my name, you'll find me.
0: That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sports and Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes, and if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.